The Bank Next FinTech podcast is produced in association with software technology company Backbase. Hello and welcome to the Bank Next FinTech podcast. I'm Sean Weston. My guest today is Zach Sheffer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Elsen described as a platform as a service company for large financial institutions. Now we're talking data here, aren't we, Zach? Uh, yes, we are. And thanks for having me today, Sean. Hey, no problem. No problem. Nice of you to join me. So tell me when you got started and who was involved in the early stages of development? Uh, yeah. So with Elson, we actually started about three and a half years ago at this point. Um, and we actually got started just out of college. So there were three original co-founders, uh, myself, uh, Justin White, who kind of led a lot of the initial technology and engineering, uh, and then Ryan Johnson, who did a lot of our products um, and you know sort of customer validation. Um, so that was kind of <clears throat> that was kind of the the three initial folks um, on the founding team. But then we really quickly brought in some absolutely fantastic investors and advisors who, you know, have really kind of helped Ellison get to to where it is today. Okay, so Ryan Johnson of LiveScribe fame, right? Uh, yes. How did you two get hooked up? So the I think the entertaining thing about the three co-founders of Elson is that we're all actually from the West Coast of the United States, but somehow all met at the same time um, in Boston. So I'm from San Diego, California. Um, Ryan is actually from Berkeley, California, so a little bit north. And then Justin is from Arizona. Um, and we all actually met at Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. So I was studying mechanical engineering, Justin doing computer engineering, and Ryan was actually doing his high-tech MBA. Um, and so we all actually met through, uh, so Justin and I actually met through courses, um, and then we met Ryan through a program called the, the IDEA, um, through the IDEA program, which is you know, one of the, the programs in, uh, at Northeastern you know, for Boston students to actually you know, foster entrepreneurship. So weirdly, so, it was that meeting of minds somehow on the other side of the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very strange because if, if you guys had, if, if it was fate for you to happen, if it was meant to happen, then you could have started your own vineyard or something, couldn't you, in Napa, or, <laughs> you know? But but somehow Boston got the best of you. So before we go any further, tell me how Elson works. So really the, the goal with Elson and our platform as a service is we want to enable large financial institutions to effortlessly harness their data. So the, the biggest sort of bottleneck that we realized was actually just organizing and extracting the data from the system. So we actually wrote a new programming language as a replacement for SQL or SQL. Um, so imagine with 50x less code getting a 50x performance boost on every data pool and every data process you have. So that's what we offer to our clients. And because that is so fast, everything on top of it is that much faster as well. So um, a great example is, you know, if you look at the case study with Thomson Reuters, you know, they had a need where they wanted to, to enable their end clients, you know, their fundamental managers to create and test ideas more easily. So we basically built on top of our platform, you know, a new interface for these managers to create and test these new multi-factor models. And because of that high-performance computing engine, because of you know that really high-quality premium content from Thomson Reuters and that intuitive interface that Elson has developed, you can do whatever you need really, really quickly. 
Well, you know, my question, my next question is going to be who else is doing this and what makes you different? But it sounds like what makes you different is the fact that you built your own code from scratch. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think if you kind of look at the competitive landscape, especially for Elson, you know, there are a few companies doing more generalized versions of what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we've we've defi- decided to really focus and specialize on financial data, we do things that these other firms literally just can't do, you know, and because we, we work with our language goes so deep into the data and how it actually does these processes that we have, you know, performance, we have speed that no one else has, um, which is, I, you know, I, I think one of the, the most powerful things, you know, we had one client who we had, we had actually brought on, you know, and this was a, a hardcore quant and, he, he was thinking about this idea for a couple of months and literally within three minutes on our platform, we were able to build and test his idea for, I think, 20 years. So literally in three minutes, um, you know, so we accelerated his workflow by like 40 to 50 X, wow. you know, at wow. the end of it, he was like, this is so easy. Even my mother could drive this. <laughs> you know, and- yeah. So, 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 so that USP of, of speed is, is what clients want, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I think the the way that I like to think about it, it's not necessarily just the the speed of a single test. You know, it's about the the ability to iterate on, on iterate on an idea. Mm. You know, clients have a burst of ideas, and if you need to wait three hours or overnight to get a result back, you're literally going to lose ideas. You know, and the world is changing so fast right now, right? Faster than ever before. You know, clients have more pressure to you know, find alpha in new spots to decrease their own fees because they're, they have more competitive pressure. And the only way of doing those things is through technology. Yeah. And our goal isn't, isn't necessarily to, to, uh, to make these things complex. We want to make them really simple. We want to make it completely point and click. So a non-technical manager can actually still leverage all that value. Okay. So it's, so it's, it's also uh, simple to use. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, so you're operating out of Boston. So tell me about the fintech scene. What's it like there? And is there a good support network for Boston startups? Oh, absolutely. I, I think Boston has done a, a fantastic job, especially over the last couple of years of you know fostering a community, especially on the, the financial technology side. Um, you know, there's a number of you know programs specifically for fintech companies. I think my, my favorite is the fintech sandbox. Um, which we've been a part of for a number of years, but there's also a number of, you know, fintech VCs, um, you know, coming around uh, that are also doing this type of stuff. You're listening to the Bank Next FinTech podcast. Tell me about how Elsa makes money. How Elsa makes yeah. money? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got this sort of platform as a service. Uh, then we license that to um, clients. Um, and we do that in, uh, we make money sort of two ways with that. We've got sort of a base license fee, as well as the rest is kind of a, a pay per use. So we try to keep it actually really straightforward for clients, um, you know, and kind of push these SaaS models into an industry that hasn't really done it as much in the past. Mm, yeah. And is that different than, than how maybe some of your competitors work? Are you, are you, or is that how it's pretty much done for platform as a service? Well, I think the, the issue is, there aren't a lot of platform as a services in financial services. I mean, 
uh, financial services is kind of a, an old and slow moving industry. <laughs> I think we, we yeah. pretty much know that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. You know, and so I think you're starting to see on maybe just kind of like more generalized enterprise companies, you know, SaaS models starting to, to kind of, you know, come in, um, especially over the last few years, but not so much in, in financial services. And so I think, you know, there needs to be just more innovation, not just from, you know, the technology side, but also from, you know, the, the business side within financial services as well. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a, a little bit about the nuts and bolts then about you getting this uh, going with, with your co-founders. So tell me about some of the challenges that you came across during the development phase. Did you say two and a half years ago? Uh, so about three and a half years ago. So <laughs> the, the first one, um, the first, I, I think, big development problem that we faced was access to data and organizing and cleaning the data. You know, as I kind of mentioned, you know, we have a, a pretty ambitious goal with what we're trying to accomplish with Elston and sort of our, our platform. And we basically need to compile all of the largest vendors, organize all of their data, put it into a simple and easy to use way. Uh, and that that's just a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, and so getting all the data actually from the vendors, you know, having to deal with all the different licenses, you know, having to deal with paying for all those licenses was definitely one of the biggest pain points, you know, and then we had this also ambitious thing on top of it, which was we wanted to then create a programming language on top of it. And between both of those two things, you know, we've gone through, I think, three or four complete rewrites of the entire system on both of those sides, you know, over the past three and a half years to, to get to where we are. Um, so I think just the, the, the pain point was how long it took us and how many times it required us to iterate on those ideas in order to actually get to where we well, are. Sounds absolutely daunting. I mean, some people would have just given up from the get-go. So, <laughs> what was different about you three that you you know you saw this as you didn't see it as an insurmountable object? Well, I don't know. I, I think in some ways we may still think about it, think about it as an insurmountable object. But it's something that we that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So you know, in a in a previous life, um, I was actually working at Credit Suisse, writing financial models for them. You know, and I I went into that that role. You know, Credit Suisse, literally one of the largest investment banks in the world. You know, probably doing absolutely amazing stuff. You know, and I I was just absolutely shocked by how unsophisticated they were from a technology perspective. You know, and that's really the state of an industry overall. Mm. You know, it's. The, the world, technology has changed so much in the last five years, but if you look at, you know, some of the largest firms in the world, they're using technology from two decades ago. Mm. You know, and it's one of those things where something has to change in this industry, and, right? Something has to change, and we want to be that be that change in the industry. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's how we've always thought about it, is we know that we need to change something because something has to change. So let's do it. Yeah. So, so a lot of that um, uh, overcoming your obstacles and, and during the development phase, a lot of it is is downright persistence because you you know that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's kind of startups, you know, early stage companies overall. You kind of need to have that 
a little bit of insanity that you need to have that persistency. Yeah. Persistency. Yeah. And that little I mean, bit of anger, I guess, as well. But, you know, <laughs> it must be, right? You know, three James Deans still putting on your red jackets and going, for God's sake, you know, something needs to happen here. Um, I mean, your professional yeah. background was in engineering, right? So how does Elsen extend your skills beyond simply being an engineer? Well, I, I think so. Part of the reason why I, I chose engineering. Um, you know, in the first place was I, I love quantifiable problems, right? I, I love the fact that if you take a math problem or you take an engineering problem, there is an answer. There is a, a, a definable and quantifiable solution to that problem, which there's something just really, really nice about that. But I, I realized that, you know, after, you know, a couple of years of, of actually being an engineer that I was kind of, in all fairness, starting to get a little bit bored. <laughs> You know, and then I started taking on some, you know, more managerial components, starting to take on some of the operation stuff that, you know, wasn't as quantifiable, you know, it was more qualitative. And I, I found those problems just absolutely fascinating because you're you're trying to apply quantitative solutions to something qualitative, but you can only do it so far just because of the the nature of the problem. You know, and I, I think at least for me personally, you know, every single day at Elson, I learn something new. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not stuff that I really wish I had learned. But, <laughs> oh, you have to uh, tell me now. <laughs> no, I won't put you on the spot. But no, it, no. it does sound like your personal evolution from being that that engineer and then applying that into becoming an entrepreneur. That's a fascinating thing. And and, and have you had the self awareness to, to look at that path? Yeah. Well, I think. You know, I, I was really lucky with the, a number of the sort of early jobs that I had, you know, both in high school, college, after college, to have just like absolutely fantastic mentors at those companies. You know, and I, I think that was actually one of the things that I, I kind of learned between talking to, to all these people over, you know, over the last decade, I guess at this point, mm. you know, is a lot of them were really happy being engineers, you know, are obviously have great lives. But, you know, that was something that a lot of them I think after being an engineer for a decade or two that they wanted, they wish they'd kind of done, mm. you know, so I, I consciously wanted to make those decisions, wanted to push those things in my own life, you know, kind of as early as possible. Sure. And, you know, that precedes one of, one of my other questions I was going to ask you a bit, bit further down the line. And that was what motivates you to succeed and, and where does that come from? Can you, can you, you know, you've sort of given credit to the, some of the people in your life. Um, but can you pinpoint exactly where that comes from? I mean, how young were you when you started to think, you know, I'd really love to run my own business one day? <laughs> well, I think that one is my my very first job or my very first internship in high school. Um, I I was doing uh, computer aided design for um, underwater uh, systems, and it was absolutely fascinating really enjoyed it. And then they also made me sweep the floors. And I was like, man, this sucks. Uh, and I, I think it was that first experience where I was like, I'd never want to have to sweep a floor again. Oh, if I'm a boss, I'll never have to sweep a floor again. And so I think it was pretty early on, I, I realized that I wanted to start my own company. Um, although now looking back, I think I do more of the cleaning in our office. <laughs> anyway. so. Things go in circles, don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, you know, and 
I, I think the other really important thing, I guess, that I've, I've also learned uh, about Elston and over the last couple of years of, of running Elston is I definitely know I don't know everything. Right. You know, and I'm, I, I love learning new things, gaining more experience in areas that I haven't been able to do before, you know, and bringing on people and having those people around you. You know, I, I quickly mentioned we were able to bring on some really strong advisors and investors early mm-hmm. on, but now we have a rock solid team who, you know, despite the fact that we have, you know, a relatively small team, we're doing things that some of the largest organizations in the world can't do, you know, and I think that's pretty incredible. You're listening to the Bank Next FinTech Podcast. All right, I'm going to tap into some of those things that you've learned now, because I'm going to ask you some broad questions about, about the industry and, and about what's happening in, in, in your field. Um, so, for instance, machine learning and, and its influence on, on fintech. So how advanced are things right now in this sector? And what, what do you think the future of machine learning looks like? Um, yeah, so I think we're, we're starting to see a lot more machine learning actually on the data. Or we're starting to see machine learning in a bunch of different areas. I think the areas that I'm most interested or think have the most application are on the data cleaning and data organization side mm-hmm. because the I, I still think that the biggest issue especially with financial services is there aren't the, the, the data is really hard to use and most companies don't do it correctly so yeah. we hear about a lot of companies um, using machine learning to basically try to bring together disparate data sets um, or for parsing um, you know uh, um, for for doing like nat- natural language processing, for seeing yeah. you know textual data and then turning that into a signal. So I think those are the two areas that I'm most interested in um, and I'm hearing the most about uh, in in financial services at this time. You know, and I, again, I've, there's a couple of really interesting like satellite companies doing this type of stuff and then selling that data to hedge funds. We see some really cool natural language processing ones, um, and then on the bringing together disparate data sets. Well, it's it's certainly nice that a lot of organisations are trying, you know, uh, because you know why why do you think many FIs are, are not making good use of the massive amounts of data that they possess? Why why aren't they even, you know, looking at all these different things that they could try to to make our lives uh, simpler? <laughs> uh, I think that is because of the organisation. I I think the the biggest issue with financial services as a whole is it's very risk averse. Right. I mean, more more so than than anything else, um, than any other other industry. Maybe let's like defense or healthcare. But so you're talking about business, you know, culturally, yeah. uh, not ready or, or not uh, not set up. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think you're starting to sort of get that ball rolling. You know, and again, I. I think that you're there. The world is changing faster than ever before. These firms have to change, otherwise, they're literally going to die. You know, over the next five to ten years. You know, and I think as you kind of also look at the way that the the we've had a really good sort of bull market lately. A lot of money is moving towards very very passive strategies, but there's going to be a correction soon. And the companies that the firms that actually have have taken in these technologies have the ability to find alpha and new spots are the ones where all that money is going to flow to. So mm. I think you're going to see a lot more changing within these firms because 
they have to, right? They don't have a choice um, or yeah. they won't yeah. be there anymore. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of, one of the big topics at the moment that, that I certainly add to Bank Next is, is about sovereign identity and, and the concept of our, our owning our own data. Yeah. Um, will we ever own our own personal data or will it always be the, the, the sort of plaything of other organizations? Oof, man, that is a big topic. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I give you 30 <laughs> seconds to answer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, man, yeah, I would say that that we can we can talk a long a long time about that one. Yeah, I I think I, I I don't think that we will ever actually own our own data. The reason I say that is I think that you know, in all fairness, we use so many public companies to to do so many things, and no matter what, those companies are always going to collect that data and then use it in different ways, mm-hmm. and. You know, much of the time we're actually comfortable with that. <laughs> um, you know, I know Europe is trying to do more things to to sort of force com- force companies to to not do that type of stuff. But I don't. I think the world is already going so quickly in that direction that it's not something we're going to be able to stop. So, yeah. so your your version of the future of data then looks a lot different than the, the current status, but also of sovereign identity. Yeah, I mean, I. I think that there are, I think that there are going to be some safeguards in place, you know, to try to protect certain port, certain data sets, you know, about us. But I, I think o- overall, it's going to be more public. I think you're going to be, see a lot more, you know, data selling companies, data as a service. I think those are going to become a lot more common. I think the biggest asset in the world is eventually going to be data. <laughs> Um, you know, I think over the next 10 years, you know, 10, 20 years as, as more of these technologies, you know, as IOT becomes more prevalent, you every single thing that you will do in your entire life, you know, even the thing that's going on within your own person is going to be collected by some company. Um, and that's going to get sold to some other company and it's going to be used to hopefully augment your life. But. Gosh, yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, scary and exciting at the same time. It's it's very hard to to, to pour into a in, into um, a comfortable sentence. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish, uh, Zach, uh, by asking you what's next for Elson. So right now, the the two big priorities for Elson is um, we have this. Tom- we've uh, we've got the underlying platform. We are actively pushing that out to you know more clients. Um, both in North America, but around the world, which is super exciting. Um, and then we've also got this, you know, first commercial application with Thomson Reuters um, that was already launched in North America and Asia Pacific. But we are actually opening that up in uh, Europe uh, today, <laughs> which is very exciting. Oh. So yeah. coincidentally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the the big thing that that we're working on is continuing to push that product out, you know, globally you know, to, to ensure that, you know, customers are successful. So really continuing to, to push out the end platform to help, you know, large asset managers do as much of their workflow as they can using the Elson and platform, as well as pushing out the, you know, QA point powered by Elson, uh, to clients around the world. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well, thank you so much for, for the conversation today, Zach. I wish you guys well for the future. Uh, thank you very much. You know, appreciate it. And, yeah. you know, we'd love to talk about sovereign data more if you ever want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please, please come back. I'd love to talk about that. That would probably take a couple of hours, but, but there you go. <laughs> thank you very much, Zach. Awesome. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Bank Next Fintech podcast. The show was written and produced by Sean Weston for Software Technology Company Bank.